Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 37. If you have any questions that you want answered, send them to michael at scientifictriathlon.com or send them through the Facebook Messenger widget on scientifictriathlon.com. Before we get into today's questions, a big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. And with summer being here in the Northern Hemisphere at least, it means that the racing season is, is upon us and hopefully that you've created pacing strategies and nutrition strategies for yourself but if you don't have a hydration strategy yet then that's also something that you you need to have and precision hydration can help you with that just take their quiz it's an online free quiz that will result in an individualized hydration strategy for your next race that you can use and it's based on your individual sweat rate and sweat sodium content if you want to use any precision hydration electrolyte products they're really tasty and really effective then use the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to try your first box or tube of electrolyte product for free. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka is a brand that redefines the standards in wetsuit, trisuits, eyewear, and several other triathlon and endurance sports product lines. They're trusted by professional triathletes like Mario Mola, Javier Gomez, Flora Duffy, Lucy Charles, Katie Spheres, Ashley Gentle, Jesse Thomas, and many, many others. They invest a ton in research and development and testing to make sure that they are the best in each product category that they enter, or they don't even bother. You can get 20% off your entire order by using the promo code TTS, all caps on roca.com. All right, so on to today's questions. The first one is from Bill in San Diego who writes, uh, Hi Michael, I've just got into podcasts and learning more about the science of triathlon. I've been a competitor and tired my whole life in many sports, including hockey, Australian, cricket, and uh, many more. I'm nearing 30 years as a mail carrier with a hilly 9.5-mile route in San Diego. San Diego. It is impossible to plan training as I never know what the volume will be or how much overtime I will get on a daily basis. Monday is my busiest day, but Sunday is my only day to go long on the bike. My other day off rotates just to muddy the mix more. As I'm getting older, it's getting really hard to go hard and recover. I have missed blocks of years, including recently no running for three years due to a hip replacement and no cycling in the 90s due to work and running. And my shoulder limits my swimming after multiple mountain bike mishaps. I have just started wearing a heart rate monitor and I see that my swim heart rate is lucky to pass 100. Yet a few years ago, I got... I managed to get an, go an, an hour for a 2.54 mile ocean race. My cycling heart rate is lucky to hit 120 and I only run during races. If Saturday at work is not brutal, I'm going to break 21 minutes for the 5k. My question is, how do I make sense and perhaps use of my circumstances? Given that I'm active for 5 to 7 hours a day at work. Alright, thank you for your question, Bill. It's definitely a difficult one. I, I struggle with this and uh, I don't know how much help I can be of, but I'll try to give you a few pieces of advice here. And uh, by the way, I kind of know what you're going through as I worked part-time as a bike mail carrier when I was in high school to earn some extra money that I could waste on whatever I wasted money on back then. 
Either way, first of all, I would say I don't think you need to worry about going long on the bike or any other sport necessarily, but especially not on the bike. Uh, other than perhaps before races, if you are going to do any longer races, then make sure just a couple of times that you are actually comfortable on your road or tri bike for whatever your goal race duration is. So, but you, but I don't think that you need to go long every Sunday or even every other Sunday just for the sake of of building your endurance or training your aerobic engine because you already have that engine I think from work and your time could be spent on things that are more valuable in this particular situation than doing long rides on on Sundays so I think Sunday which is your day off that would be better used to do a short but more intense ride which you might not be able to get in during the work week Ideally, you'd also do a swim on Sunday as you'll probably be much fresher on Sunday when you have only a hard bike workout as the other workout and not a five to seven hour active workday, physically demanding workday behind you. So, so that's, that's, I guess, one of my main points here that I want to make. Don't see it, see it as if that's that you have to go long on Sunday because it's your only non-rotating day off. I assume that you probably start work pretty early in the morning, which complicates things further, because otherwise what I would suggest is that you might do some some of your specific or quality training before work and then just take it very easy, as easy as possible when at work. But uh, the other way around, if you start work very early, doing a hard or specific workout after work, that might be very difficult or impossible after a full day being active and, and probably not even recommended. So maybe if you can do it on the swim, that might be a, a different situation and perhaps do it with a pool boy or with buoyancy shorts. I, of course, recommend Roka's buoyancy shorts. Uh, so that might be an option because your upper body might not be that, that tired. So, so you might be able to get in a, a good quality swim after work with a pool boy or with buoyancy shorts. And, and get in some specific training in that discipline and, and even some general high intensity training, which might help your bike. If you can, you can work, work hard on the swim and work at a high intensity that, that has some crossover effects to the bike. How much that's debatable, but some. I would say that in terms of the overall weekly structure, uh, what I'm, what I'm sort of converging towards in terms of a solution for you is that I would recommend to do that short but intense ride on Sunday where you get in your quality, your intensity on the bike. And then your work days are your endurance workouts on the bike. For the swim, just do what you can. Depending on when you start work, you ideally before work, if there is a pool that is open and it's not at an ungodly hour, but sort of like a more humanly hour that, that you can actually get up and do the swim realistically. But, but if you have to do it after work because you start work too early, then then do it after work and and when you try to do a quality swim with some intensity then do it with a pool boy or with buoyancy shorts if you feel that you're tired from work because that will help you get better mechanics because otherwise your legs will be sinking just because of the fact that you're you're tired you're fatigued from work and and that's okay you you don't need to see it as a crutch you should see it as a having using a tool in your toolbox to make sure that you get the most amount of quality from that quality swim uh, so and try to place that swim that intense swim on a day when you when you're as fresh as possible perhaps well you have that one rotating day off so so you can maybe use that day to recover from cycling but get in your hard swim session on that day that might be a solution actually so no bike but we're getting a hard swim in 
And then you might get in a couple of other swims during the week that might be easier swims because you have been working that same day. About your heart rate, and I think you worry that it's very low, don't worry about it. It's a combination of many factors, including age, genetics, and individual differences in general, as well as the fact that you've basically trained for five to seven hours per day during work for years and years and years. So that is going to lower your heart rate to some extent as well, probably. But uh, but that's not really an issue. There are huge individual variations when it comes to heart rate, which is the reason that age-related heart rate formulas simply don't work. Also, swimming heart rate is always much, much lower than cycling and running. So that is nothing unusual at all for it to be really low like that during swimming. So I hope this helps, Bill, and uh, good luck with your training. The next question is from Lee in the United Kingdom, who writes, uh, how can you best monitor an athlete's training to determine what sort of training works best for that individual? Many athletes follow a plan consisting of more than one type of quality workout within a microcycle. So for example, uh, low intensity endurance workouts and then a weekly threshold session like four times 10 minutes and a VO2 session like six times three minutes. How do we know which training the athlete is responding to if uh, all of these types of sessions are progressing? This led me down the lines of considering if block periodization would help determine this. However, even if there is a focus on one system completely and not the others, for example, six weeks focus on threshold training, then six weeks focus on VO2 training, when considering that adaptations occur on different time continuums, how do we truly know what is best? As rightly or wrongly, I understand that adaptations from long, slow distance training can take longer to materialize than from VO2 max, VO2 max training, for example. I could go on, but hopefully you get the logic behind my question. Your thoughts would be hugely appreciated, as always. Highly thanks for your question. Yeah, this is uh, an interesting one. Unfortunately, the body and training is very complex, and there are hundreds of interacting factors that make it difficult or impossible to really separate if there is a certain element of training that is working better than others. This really is both a science, but also to a large extent an art. And and you are right, of course, that the time course of different adaptations, they do vary depending on different types of training, but they also vary between individuals and even for a given individual, depending on where you are in your career progression. So obviously that those time course variations are a huge confounding factor here. I do think though that uh, what we can do is look at a window of, for example, eight weeks. And if an improvement was achieved or not achieved from the start to the end of that eight week of training, eight week training block, then the training done in that eight week window, it can be considered successful or unsuccessful. And this sort of goes against what you said and what I said, that there are plenty of confounding factors and time course, the time course of adaptations varies. But if we make things too complex, then we can do nothing useful at all. So my strong belief is that in coaching, we should use Occam's razor as a mental model, which uh, if you're not familiar, it states that when several possible explanation, expl- explanations for an occurrence exist, then the one that requires the least complexity, speculation, and assumptions is the most likely to be correct. So basically, keep it simple. <laughs> as simple as possible. No no simpler, but, but as simple as possible. 
so if you proved, improved a lot in those eight weeks of training, for example, that we're looking at, it is much more likely that the training that you did during that time made the difference compared to that a delayed effect from training done way before that made the big difference. However, what you're getting at is uh, you want to know whether you respond really well to threshold workouts or VO2 workouts or things like that. I don't necessarily think that that is, I mean, I think that is definitely a valid question and a good question to ponder and try to figure out. But also, we don't need to make it down to that micro level necessarily. To, To give an example here, let's use a runner because it's way easier that way. Let's say we have a runner that runs seven times per week and it includes one long run, one tempo run, one track workout, and the rest is easier aerobic shorter runs. So we're not going to say that they improved in that eight-week window because of the track workout or because of the long run or because of the tempo run or because of the seven workouts. We can say that a training structure that consists of seven weekly runs with a long run, a tempo run, and a track workout is a microcycle structure that causes positive adaptations in this runner. And so so I would challenge the thought that we that we want to know what exactly within that structure caused the most improvements because that is also going to change so much even within an individual from where they are one year to where they are the next year. So when we look into too much too much into the smaller details that that's a very common pitfall to do I think. When we look at the weekly structure too much, when we look at the single workout too much, when we look at the details within a workout too much, uh, that's that's a, a common trap that we fall into compared to looking at the bigger picture, like a one-month block of training, a two-month block of training, a six-month block of training, the entire season. So, so I think that that is something to keep in mind as well, that if this runner for for eight weeks, maybe with one easier recovery week in in the middle there they did this sort of microcycle we can say that a two-week block consisting of this type of microcycle repeated over and over again that caused big improvements in the runner and if we can find larger scale blocks like these that seem to cause improvements in an athlete then we should be happy with that and we can use that as a framework to try and maximize improvements rather than trying to uh, trying to nail it down or boil it down to saying that the threshold is what this runner should be doing and then putting all our eggs in the threshold basket or the VO2 is what makes the improvement. So you could, I mean, I'm not saying that you should not try the block periodization method as you suggest to find out whether threshold works better than VO2 for you. I would say that that could potentially give you some really valuable information as well. And for the listeners, I will link to an episode I did on block periodization, episode 68, scientifictriathlon.com forward slash TTS68. Uh, but uh, so, so you, can, you can use that. I agree with that. And, and it can give you some insights. But I think that the most valuable insights that you'll get comes from looking at it from a not overly complex perspective, looking at it from a bigger macro perspective. And remembering, remembering Occam's razor at all times that uh, the explanation for an occurrence that uh, requires the least amount of complexity and assumptions and and speculation is most likely the correct explanation. One more thing that I want to mention that you can consider, as we have talked about, and I keep talking about it because I think it's such a revolutionary revolutionary tool that really works, it is uh, the inside testing. Without going into detail here, because I've talked about it before and had an interview with founder Sebastian Weber in episode 169, I'll link to all the relevant information in the episode description. But these are tests that you can do to tell what your athletic profile is. 
And based on that, we can determine what sort of training is more likely to work well for you. It's definitely not 100% that it will work for you, of course, but the chances they go up by a lot. So a perfect example would be to determine whether you should be doing more sweet spot type of work or more VO2 max type of work, for example. So again, I'll link to some more information in the episode description on that. And uh, Lee's question goes on. He writes further to this, considering that reverse periodization for six plus hour cycling or triathlon events where we're, when we're working from higher intensity to lower, more race-specific intensity, can the adaptation time continuum be considered a criticism of this appro- approach with the logic that low, slung, low, long, low, slung, <laughs> long, slow distance endurance requires the longest duration for adaptation to be fully realized so it should be placed at the start of the program and the higher intensity work towards the end as adaptations are much quicker to that higher intensity. Are we missing out if endurance is emphasized in the final six to eight week block? This is a great point. And yes, I, I would agree definitely, especially if we start from, from a lower fitness level. I definitely agree. And, and I don't think that reverse periodization works well for athletes that don't have a good strong aerobic base or it, it works but it doesn't work as well it's not ideal then i prefer much prefer traditional periodization where we build that aerobic base first so so really i think for reverse periodization to be ideal you want to work on it with athletes that are already that already have an aerobic base so they have been consistent for for quite some time been endurance sports athletes for several years for example and as you rightly point out, uh, it, it is quicker, like you can get quicker adaptations from high intensity work. So that's one of the reasons that this is the case, that for those athletes that still need to work a lot on their base, we should be placing that aerobic base building earlier on in their pro- program, absolutely. Uh, but also it's the fact that they can benefit more from that high intensity work if they have a stronger aerobic base to begin with. For the advanced athlete, however, I think that you already have the idea here for me, from my perspective would be that the advanced athlete already has such a strong aerobic base, even if they took two weeks off at the end of last season, and then they get into the next season. We're not starting right away the first week with just doing high intensity. We are building back into it, take a couple of weeks to just do endurance, increasing the frequency and the volume of training, and then perhaps start the reverse periodization type of structure so so my argument here is that for these advanced athletes, after you've gone through that first initial adaptation phase for the new season, you still have that aerobic base that you had last year, that you had the year before, if you're a long-time endurance athlete. So really for that athlete, that like big block of high-volume training and, uh, and also race-specific intensities the last six to eight, eight weeks before a race, that really is, it isn't base building, it's more like putting the finishing touches and uh, to to a house if we want to make that analogy of building a house so so that is the the argument and the reasoning that that i would i would use for why reverse periodization may work in certain situations but not necessarily be ideal in the other but i do agree with you that it for many athletes we really put the cart before the horse if we if we start with the high intensity without having a strong enough aerobic base which takes a longer time to to build as you say So uh, thank you, Lee, very much for your question. And that wraps it up for today. I'll link to the episode description to episodes on block periodization, episode 68, uh, the interview with Sebastian Weber, founder of Inside in episode 169, 
and the inside testing page with information about how you can go about doing inside testing and learn about your athletic profile on scientifictriathlon.com. Thank you so much for all the questions and keep sending them in as mentioned. And thank you also for the reviews that keep coming in. And I'm going to read another one here today from Dodgers number 42 in the United States who writes Triathlon University five stars. I think a better name for this podcast is Triathlon University. The amount of quality knowledge and guests that Michael is able to include for each episode is amazing. I don't know how he's able to create so many great podcasts. Each podcast is like a class on some aspect of triathlon. The sum total of these episodes is like receiving a free master's degree in endurance training. Great job, Michael, and thank you for all your hard work. Thank you, Dodgers number 42. That is so great to hear that you find the podcast this useful and and it is fuel to the fire for me and for my motivation to keep working as hard on producing these podcasts. And anybody who's been a long-time listener, if you feel the same way, then I do really, really, really appreciate ratings and reviews. And they do help out the podcast a lot and help make it sustainable because that's how I can keep growing the audience, keep attracting sponsors, which is a prerequisite for me to be able to spend all the time that I, that I do on creating this podcast because it does take a lot of time. Speaking of sponsors, big thank you to our loyal longtime sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test and use the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to get your first box or tube for free. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, dry suits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear and get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.